0: Myrnaz Campbell, founder and CEO of Kimia and Kimia Reset. I'm really passionate about helping pharma sales team get confident using technology to engage with healthcare professionals. You know, pharma rushed in to invest in digital tools, um, CRM system platforms at the beginning of the pandemic and marketing rushed to develop online modular content so we can have more Touch points with the healthcare professionals. But what I'm really passionate about is that human side of digital transformation, that um, ability, enabling um, individuals to be able to feel confident to engage uh, and have a communication with healthcare professionals. And to explore this further, I've been interviewing inspiring pharma leaders to learn from them and to uh, understand their perspective. So I'm absolutely delighted. To have Chris Wade from Exevo here with me today and have an opportunity to um, talk to him. Hi Chris, it's lovely to have you here.
1: Hey Myrna, thanks so much for, for inviting me, really yeah. pleased to be speaking.
0: Well it's all my pleasure Chris because this is our last interview for 2022 and just before we're going to ask you a question I wanted to give our audience a little bit of background about you. Um, you are recognised in the life science industry as a forward-thinking leader, in the customer experience and digital space Uh, and if anybody had the opportunity and pleasure of meeting you in person which I have I can actually feel the energy exuding from your aura you know you've got you kind of like a bundle of energy and passionate about what you do which is lovely to see so I know in the last 20 years you've helped um, life science companies improve their customer operations by applying advanced technology solutions to facilitate improved capabilities across the commercial organization. I know you started with Dendrite back in 1997, and since then you worked with leading organizations such as Viva, IMS Health, PwC Consulting, and Doctors Net in the UK, in a range of Uh, business development product management and uh, strategic solution uh, roles i know right now as assistant vp of um, strategic solutions at exevo your prime focus is on building next generation technology platforms that transform the business and experience of customers patients and employees which is a great space to be because there's so much is changing in that space isn't it chris
1: It is indeed. And Miranda, thanks for the intro. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, It's, you know, it is a really interesting time to be in this space. There's so much conversation, you know, around how we're working as an industry with our customers, Um, you know, not just in the traditional, you know, face-to-face setting, but, you know, really taking a much more holistic view of, you know, different commercial functions, the different types of customers and stakeholders, that make up our markets now. Um, and also, of course, the, you know, the pivotal role that medical affairs, you know, is playing and, and recognizing it needs to play, you know, in a, you know, in order to um, you know, deliver great experiences and and impactful um, engagement.
0: I'm curious about your career path and no, I wanted to know what made you choose a career in life science industry? What kind of like triggered your interest in the first place?
1: Well I think yeah i mean i think like a lot of people um you the start of the journey is um is a bit opportunistic for me i was actually working for a small software company in melbourne um in australia we were in the tele- telecommunication space back in the the early days of 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 mobile messaging and um i started to look at you know what did i want to be doing and i just started looking around for around for roles and ended up after Speaking to lots of people, coming across um, a guy who ran a recruitment company just outside London, um, and it turns out he had formerly been the European Technical Director at Dendrite,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and he, you know, was still in touch with lots of people there, and said there was actually he was aware there was a role coming up. Could I move to the UK? You know, in basically the sort of week after next, um, thought about it for about five minutes and said yes so uh you know that was my that was my start back in um when was it sort of uh june june 97 uh you know arrived in the uk and members first couple of months sitting there going like what the hell have i done <laughs> 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 and is, that's you know, amazing
0: what... and i think that says a lot about you um moving from australia Within a week was not an easy decision, but you happy to take the risk and just move forward. And I'm so glad yeah. you did because otherwise we probably would have not <laughs> met and crossed our path. So I was going to say, you joined Exevo. What drew you to the company? What really excited about um the company that made you say, "Yeah, I'll move to them now."
1: Um, I think it's probably it's it's almost like worth going like right back to the start. So when I joined Dendrite in the late '90s, you know this is still the era of you know huge sales forces of you know etms solutions you know electronic territory management and it was all about you know the use of technology was all about managing the organization you know i've got this very complex territory structures we had mirrored felt sales forces and you know essentially you know this very very uh you know complex software was in place just to sort of manage you know who's got the right customers, making sure the territories are right, making sure the calls get counted appropriately. But there was never any consideration about, in effect, about the customer. Um, they were profiles on a screen. All of the detailing was done off paper. Um, you know, these are the days, I suppose, when you know reps really were carrying the bag, um, and that bag was full of all sorts of, you know, of giveaways and leaflets and 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 you know laminated. Uh, detail aids and things like that. And I suppose it was uh, probably the early 2000s that the sort of the, or late 1990s, early 2000s that the first um, sort of digital detailing materials start to become available. and these were always very disconnected. So you still and this was you know something which I saw as a potential area um, that you know companies like Dendrite should be moving into. and there was a lot of resistance and you know I found that really frustrating. Um, and I guess that sort of it was it was that frustration, which really, I suppose, defined the, the journey ever since mm-hmm. that, you know, when I've come into companies, I think when I I joined, um, I joined Viva um, at the start of oh, so midway through 2014 and um, I was bought in, they had, uh, you know, some really interesting new products in the multi-channel area and i found that really refreshing i'd i'd been with uh, doctorsnet uk for 6 years prior to that focusing on you know physician marketing and you know getting a very you know different perspective on what was it that actually made doctors tick and what are the things that 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 get them engaging um when you don't have a sales force you know physical sales force behind you know behind messaging and I was really excited by what, you know, what the sort of, you know, new world that Viva was opening up in terms of multi-channel engagement, you know, channels, mm-hmm. which they were already using, you know, reps, email, everyone knew that, but it was, it was all being sort of, you know, done in parallel and it wasn't being connected back to, you know, that sort of holistic picture of, you know, what are we doing? You know, how are we engaging? What can we learn from it? Mm-hmm. And it was, and, and I suppose, and then ultimately, you know, six years later, what drove me to, uh, you know, to, you know, to into into Exevo's arms was the realization that, you know, that multi channel wasn't enough. That actually these businesses um, are far more complex than just a field organization. That, you know, when we looked at what, you know, what omni channel, you know, promised was a lot more than just organizing the digital touch points, but really how do you encompass? you know, all of the operating channels, all of the operating functions of a life sciences company, you know, everywhere that touches the customer or the customer touches them is mm-hmm. essentially that defines the multi, the, the omni-channel uh, piece. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Viva, you know, enormously capable about around its sort of field operations. And I guess, particularly as they, they talk about sort of HCP centricity, but to me, you couldn't be that if you didn't bring into the same the same decision making, the same you know customer journey, the picture that marketing is trying to manage, the picture that commercial is trying to manage, the picture that medical is trying to manage, and you know an approach that in a in a much more cohesive approach as a whole business rather than being I suppose effectively sort of siloed around you know you know one part really important mm-hmm. function, um, but you know reps. Will only benefit from having more, in, you know, insight and intelligence from other parts of the business. And I guess what we'd seen was, in theory, absolutely, you could resolve that with technology, with integration and things like that. In practice, you know, many organisations have tried, and most have. We're still really struggling to get any meaningful level of of integration. So actually, having a having a unified platform you know, a, a single data, a single data fabric for all customer engagement made a lot of sense. It's like, this is the way forward. Um, and, you know, hence Exebo are doing that with in partnership with Microsoft. And that's why I joined.
0: Great. Let me ask you a question, because everybody uses buzzwords in our industry. And um, we don't often stop to question the buzzwords. You know, everybody is saying multi-channel omni-channel and sometimes people using them interchangeably as if they're saying um English is my second language and I always (laughs) use that to ask the question that no one else is asking can you explain to me like in your own words what does multi-channel mean to you what does omni-channel mean just briefly so we can see the difference from your perspective because I'm not sure whether everybody knows and Maybe everybody's got
1: their own definition of these yeah. two words. And 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 then I'll put my hand up. And I, I previously have been as guilty of that as anybody. Um, you know, it was it, it was, you know, use the language to suit the situation. Um So I think to me the biggest difference is is it's it's twofold. At us at a purely channel level, if we just look at you know the difference between the two, then multi-channel just means multiple channels. Um so it was typically been in, in, in a pharma context, it's been focused on the channels that, for example, the rep can control and direct themselves. So whether it's what they're doing from a face-to-face standpoint, um, what they can share electronically via email, via messaging. Um, and then I suppose what we've seen is the sort of like the newer area is obviously around remote, is opening that up as a as, as a, you know, a channel in its own right. Um, and obviously, through the pandemic, you know, huge um, requirement to to accelerate capabilities and confidence in that area. Um, Omni-channel, but I suppose essentially these are all outbound. Mm-hmm. They're driven by you know they, the decision to to use that channel. It's driven by the rep. I as a rep, I've set up the opportunity for that conversation. I'm emailing my customer. Um, where the omni bit comes in is omni is supposed to be two-way. Um, and it's also, so it's more like a, you know, it's, it's, it's in, in and out and also side to side. So it's the, the difference between a small set of, of channels, which we focus on our outbound communication. So we mm-hmm. could look at, 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 you know, email as one of our multiple channels, but if we, ca- if we don't connect those to connect those up and, you know, form form opinions around what's happening, you know, how is responsiveness in one channel changing how we behave in another channel? And that gets really difficult. Omnichannel, on the other hand, is around bringing both your inbound and outbound channels together so that you have, you know, a much truer 360 degree view of your customer or an account, you know, what you're doing, what they're doing, you know, what they're choosing to view, what they're choosing to respond to, um, and that's really the the sort of the fundamental difference between, you know, multi-channel. It tends to be it's focused on outbound. Omni-channel is focused on not just inbound, but also, you know, balancing the inbound and the outbound.
0: Thank you for explaining that. I think I really like your definition of inbound, outbound, and also sideways. And that brings me to talk about a recent discussion. Uh, you had um, you talked about the sales force are going to need to have different types of expertise um, and I'm just curious to expand a little bit more on that and ask you what you meant by that um, I kind of I think traditionally the sales forces were like behaving like a lone wolf you know they had their territory they had their customers and they were quite kind of protective of who sees their customers but now we're evolving in a way that Seeing this sales professionals' role as an orchestrator, they probably need to bring other people in the team to deliver different values to the healthcare professionals. So, how do you see their role evolving and how the expertise evolving to be able to be really effective in this omni-channel way of working?
1: Great question. Um, I think you know inevitably, you know the 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 nature of what if we just look at the rep as a you know in, as one particular role. That is going to reflect, be reflective of the type of market you're operating in, the way decisions get made, who has, who has the the ability to buy, in a, in, a, in its most basic sense. So mm-hmm. for us, that's about prescription, but of course there's so many factors that that dictate what is available to bes- prescribe in the first place, and I think that's you know one of the areas where and you know you you've seen this. I know you in your you know in how your career has evolved. Um, you know the importance of of being able to work with you know people further back in the decision making chain, so that rather than just being you know the sort of the, the 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 water carrier as it were, you know the person who's just there delivering key messages, um, you know is almost like a you know billboard on two legs. It's you know it has to be you know they're much more you know driven to add value. You know, driven to understand what is going on for this particular healthcare professional with their patients, the organisations that they're working in, and you know, and frankly, bringing their expertise to the table around through conversation to say, "How can I help you through these products?" You know, solve problems that you know that your patients are having. So I think it's you know, it is it's a natural evolution, um, in a good way. I think towards you know, reflecting the deeper knowledge that a life sciences company has both around its products on one hand, but also around the market that they operate in. Because, of course, you know, know, these are very, very deeply skilled, deeply capable organizations. Mm -hmm. The problem has often been that it's just also quite siloed. Um, So the knowledge that is held within, say, within market access, within commercial, isn't necessarily, you know, getting into the hands of reps to be able to use in you know discussions with practice managers hospital pharmacists you know hospital managers and the like i guess you've seen a lot in a lot of in a lot of uh, western markets in particular that sort of migration from a pure rep to a, a sort of a field cam role as being a great example of how that nature of of the sort of the the, the frontline salesperson is been expected to change so i think it's you know it's it's all a positive thing but it does reflect a need for you know much better collaboration mm-hmm. internally you know it's sharing of information sharing of insight becomes really critical and that's something in that kind of lone wolf model I think culturally it's set up it set up people to fail because you know this the, the 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 people who were good at it they were you know lauded lauded from on high as being you know these fantastic salespeople, and lots of people you know conversely probably struggled because you know they they weren't getting support the support you know from the wider organisation which had they had they would have you know potentially been fantastic you know you know account you know account you know, managers and the like
0: I think um that that's so reflective of the change we've seen in the landscape over the last I would say twenty years um, and some companies did test that I think you need to have more capable people in the field. We can have those conversations and analyze those information effectively. And I think we've seen that with the RAD model back Mm -hmm. in the UK that they tested it. I think it started in 2003. I joined them in 2008. It was so refreshing to be able to have that adult-to-adult conversations. I guess one of the things you talked about is about KPIs and measures um, and what kind of like we measure we're going to get more of it. How do you see us um, kind of evolving the commercial success measures in the future? What do you think they should be?
1: I think we're at a. Po- I think we're approaching a point where where companies are they feel confident to apply. I guess what we sort of see as, you a know, more satisfaction based based indexes. So you know, classically NPS, um, but other measures of of the value of experience. Um, You know, there's a lot of evidence, you know, done by many people around, you know, a focus on CX, which tends to be, you know, a holistic outcome, rather Mm -hmm. than measuring, you know, each channel or each touchpoint in isolation and effectively target chasing, which, of course, we still do, you know, how many Mm -hmm. companies when it comes to it, you still end up in a conversation, which you kind of like say, "Oh, you're actually talking about coverage and frequency, aren't you?" <laughs> um, and it's like, "Okay, so if those are the me- if those are the targets, how are we ever going to talk quality? How are we ever going to talk value?" Um, I think to your earlier point, um, you know, one of it one of those challenges is you know, and where technology, I suppose, has created some possibilities, but also it's closed down some of the opportunities. Is you know, when we look at things like um, you know when we look at detailing as a as a classic thing it's like the you know the sort of obsession with clm as being the center the centerpiece of any rep engagement is crazy because the center point of the rep engagement should be the conversation should be the interaction should be what you're the, what you're hearing from your customer not are you delivering the key are you delivering those key messages mm-hmm. and of course just because we can you know we can track um what slides were shown it's like that somehow becomes a, a a success a success measure in its own right and i think in many cases a, a sort of success obsession being able to focus on uh you know on the conversation and derive value from that in an omni-channel model that's where at following the conversation you have a better ability to to respond to shape your you know to shape your outbound communications to shape what marketing is doing so you know how can marketing learn more from those individual engagements that reps are having with their key customers you know what you want to capture in a call isn't what was shown that's if, if you show something great you know by all means track it but what was said what was asked what were the questions that I was asked and how do I, you know, how do I respond to those in a better way? It's, it might be information I had with me today. It might be something I can share with you afterwards. It absolutely should shape how we think about that customer going forward. Equally, you know, that same customer may exhibit an entirely different set of behavior through medical. They might be yeah. contacting medical information. They might be, you know, attending, you know, education sessions, things like that. And you know, you Chris, can... I've got
0: an idea. Talking to you kind of like triggered the thought here. I often think it's better to do um, measure sales because that's the ultimate nirvana. Don't don't bother with surrogate markets. But as I was listening to you, I just thought omni-channel actually gives us an opportunity to measure pull. So, say for example, I had a few conversations last week with some senior people, and during that conversation that conversation generated um, between three to six uh, touch points, things they requested made for request, requests for budget impact model, requests for digital assets, request to talk to someone else who's going through the same experience. maybe their request because when somebody asks you for information and um, you know clarification, that means they're really interested. they're really evaluating it. so I think, you know, when you said the pull push thing, if they're pulling for information, that could be a good marker of engagement. What do you think?
1: Oh, yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. This is this is really what omnichannel is about. Mm-hmm. Is how as how can we for the first time actually look at our customers in this true 360 holistic way? Try to understand what it is that they that they need, what is it they want, what are some of the pressures that they're under. Because they are under pressure, you know, no, no, you know, no doubt about that. Um, and often they can't do what they'd like to be able to do because they're of out of you know drug availability or pricing restrictions, you know, you know, many different things in many different markets. So, you know, we have to you know apply our intelligence, our considerable intelligence as life sciences companies to mm-hmm. coming up with, as you said, solutions.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I'll find you uh, have been able to uh, grow brands exponentially is because we don't measure this coverage and frequency, I think, and, or share a voice, because I think to me it's irrelevant. I think you need to be able to do the data analysis to find out who are the accounts, who are the people who potentially would be interested in your brand proposition, because their need is being met by your product and services then prioritize and go and see these people. And some of these people are really difficult to see. So they're not going to pick up the first phone call. So you need to be um, persistent and professional and find a kind of like a way of getting their attention. And you need to be really good at it when you're communicating online because you need to communicate something within seven seconds to grab their attention. And then once you have that conversation, then you can further segment those customers. And I find for me, selling is not about what I want to achieve, what the company wants to achieve, is really be focused around what is their need, what they're trying to achieve, so I can use all my product and services to help them achieve their goal whilst the company achieves that goal. So it's a like true, true win-win. And I think when you start working in that way, that's when you start building trust, building relationship, and the, you know, any if anybody was really obsessed with coverage and frequency, they probably find the frequency of contact dramatically increases because they want to have a conversation with you.
1: Absolutely. And I think, I think you know, one, one I think related aspect to that, which I think is probably, again, it's sort of underappreciated things, of, you know, there's a lot of the conversation about data, um, you know, data analytics, Nespex action, it's sort of these, you know, if you want to sort of throw the buzzwords up there, they're right up there. Um and I think, but there's also I think a lack of um, a lack of appreciation of often how narrow the data that we're looking at actually is. It's like, well, let's look at the data you've got in your CRM system, um, and you end up in this sort of this this kind of closed loop of these are the people we've seen, these are the products we've spoken about, these are the messages we've used. Let's let's see what the machine learning tells us. Oh, it says do the same thing again, but do it more often yeah um, it's never going to it's never going to suggest see somebody different because yeah. if you're only basing it on data, which is very self-referential, this is our CRM information, particularly if the CRM data is only describing what the sales force is doing, if it's not you know, if it's not covering marketing, it's not covering medical, it's not covering commercial, it is a slice of a slice of a slice.
0: And I agree with you. if you spend more time trying to engage the people who are really difficult to see, and find a way of engaging them. For me, that's a better time spent rather than having coverage and frequency of those who have their open door and everybody else is talking to them because that doesn't really matter. But I'm just conscious of time, Chris, and I'm just going to ask you as a last question is, how do you think as an industry we can work better together to build a better experience for customers, patients, and our own
1: teams? I think the number one requirement, coming at it from a from from where I stand on the technology side, is embracing you know openness. Is you know no nobody has the answer, at least for total answer. So you know the 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 approaches that you have to take, they have to embrace you know you know the choice of the choice of data is driven by what is what is of interest, what is of relevance. Um, the choice of channel, likewise, I think there is um, there is a need for um, you know having a a unified data fabric around you know how we manage customer information across the business. That's way overdue. You know, look mm-hmm. in other industry sectors, they've been able to operate in that way for you know a, you know a number of years. That's now that's that's just a, a given. That you know when you talk about CRM and you're not talking about the whole company approach that's a big problem that we still have that is very sort of you know when we think about hcp centricity it tends to drive a field oriented approach and it's like well what about everybody else what about the rest of the organization you know what are we missing out on around those insights those opportunities realizing potential or discovering potential where we didn't think there was any um that's absolutely critical um this can't be a rep discussion any longer. This has to be, you know, they are, you know, a really key role, but it is one really key role out of many really key roles. And that's how we need to, I think, you know, take the conversation forward.
0: Well, thank you, Chris. I really enjoyed having you here. And I hope our listeners enjoyed your uh, words of wisdom as much as I enjoyed them. Um, You said, if you do what we've always done, we're going to get what we've always had. So to mm-hmm. move forward, we need to be relevant and we also need to be open and embrace. So thank you for your top tips. I just want to close the interview by saying that um, we at Kimia developed Kimia Reset, a really fun and engaging uh, learning platform that focuses on the human side of digital transformation. And it has been described by some as the Netflix of pharmaceutical sales training. And I think the results speaks for themselves and what we find in many countries that we roll this out, it really increases um, Salesforce confidence, increases the quality of the virtual and face-to-face um, contacts and um, interactions, but it dramatically also increases the quantity of the engagement. I mean, some countries we've seen it by as much as five-fold. In some others, we've seen it as much as 10-fold. And we're not standing still. We're developing new contents for improving mindset for the Salesforce, improving behaviors, and also increase the engagement with um, CRM tools. So if you're looking for a solution to help your teams to get more confident and get their arms around this um, new way of engaging with healthcare professionals, please get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. That's it from me and Chris, and it's good to have you here listening to us.
1: Thanks very much, Matt it's been lovely talking again.